0: Love Talk Radio.
1: A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we are going to be continuing a theme regarding healing. And those of you who listen with any regularity know that we really love this subject. We feel that making the world whole, which is really what the word healing derives from, going back to the ancient Greek, it also means making hallowed or wholly bringing together the parts that have been fragmented and have been fractured. And if we're going to create a better world, folks, well, we better start right here at home. That's the way it goes. For those of you who go and visit us at our website and get our newsletter at www.abetterworld.tv, you know how dedicated we are to bringing people on the song and the unsung heroes of society, to talk about these themes from their personal experience, from their professional experience, and help us all come to a deeper understanding, sometimes a lighter understanding, of what it is to be human, to what it is to feel uh, fallible and vulnerable, what it is to feel ill, and what it is we can do to bring all of this to consciousness get into our hearts, and come to a place of renewal, rejuvenation, and well-being, after all, so we can in turn help others with the same process. Well, along this path, we are very pleased to uh, introduce to you today and have on the show with us for the full hour, and then we'll be joined at 7, a little before 7, actually, uh, by someone else to talk about another aspect of healing, moving into the direction of uh, luminosity, actually. But for our first hour, we will be speaking with the founder of Matrix Energetics, Richard Bartlett. Richard is a naturopath, a chiropractor, and has been involved in healing for so many years by really helping people explore and understand what, it, what human potential is really all about. You could say by bringing together the worlds of quantum physics and in my view neurolinguistic programming and his own deep understanding of anatomy and physiology and consciousness itself, he has weaved together a beautiful and oftentimes very lighthearted technology, if you will, a, a way of approaching human consciousness, mind and body, that is poetic, that's beautiful, that's oftentimes light touch, and very effective, and I've seen it up front with my own eyes, what you could say miracles occurring and uh, he travels around the country with Melissa Joy, his partner in all of this, and together they delight uh, their audiences, many of whom are professional healers of one sort or another and today they'll be delighting our audience here at A Better World to talk about things that are very dear to all of our hearts and There's going to be a number of takeaways from this for all of you. So listen in and enjoy the show. And remember that afterwards, uh, after this interview, we will have Barry Snyder on, the author of Soul Awakening, The Journey from Ego to Essence, which is part of a uh, trilogy called Birthing the Luminous Self. And uh, he'll be joining us afterwards, someone I met in India a number of years ago. So, Richard and Melissa, are you on the line? We are. I am. Excellent. Well, yes, great. I
2: am on the line. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, very well. Welcome, Fantastic. Melissa. You're in San Diego. And, am, Richard, you are near Seattle. Is that correct? That's correct. Wonderful. And I'm sitting here in New York. We are forming a beautiful domestic triangle. And... I think that our conversation will uh, reflect the very essence of the country, East to West. So I'm excited because a lot of the work you do really does uh, weave together, as I was saying in the introduction, um, Eastern thinking and Western thinking. And I so much appreciate the way you have orchestrated the different kinds of thoughts from Scientific thoughts to what could be considered metaphysical or spiritual kinds of thinking. And you've kind of put it all under one rubric. Tell us a little bit about, just like if you would begin, Richard, with what is matrix energetics and how is it that you came about it in the first place?
3: Well, matrix energetics is
1: hard to define. And I
3: think anytime you define something, you somewhat limit it by the definition. So um, it's different things for different people depending upon the lens of perception that they're viewing it from. For me at this point, uh, it started out as an experience that I had, which I can talk about. But for me at this point, it's a consciousness technology that interfaces with something Rupert Sheldrake calls morphic fields, and yeah. these morphic fields are specifically, uh, were specifically created by me, and and then Melissa has done this as well, where we have interwoven the physics in with what you would call healing, in with mm, what may appear to be uh, like merry prankster craziness, like 60s <laughs> uh, psychedelic uh, uh, phenomena. Ken Kesey <laughs> style, yes. Yes. <laughs> sure. Melissa, what would you have to say about that?
2: I would absolutely concur with everything that Richard said uh, with respect to our, our hesitancy to define matrix energetics. What it is for our students and for everyone that comes in contact with the morphic field is, it, it assists us with tapping into our own inherent potential. Uh, we've been conditioned to believe that we are limited by virtue of our prior training, by our belief systems, by our thoughts, by our opinions, and by all of our habituated ways of noticing and experiencing reality. And when we tap into this morphic field of matrix energetics, we are literally tapping into infinite potential. And what resonance with that field creates is different possibility states for every individual that encounters Transformation becomes instantaneous, much more likely and available for every facet of reality, not just healing, but really relationships, finances, uh, community, the environment. Really, everything is up for grabs and everything becomes available and everything becomes uh, readily accessible in an instantaneous and lifelong fashion.
1: Wow, that was one beautiful paragraph, Melissa. Thank you. It <laughs> really said a lot in a succinct way. You know, and when you say that you are hesitant to define it because any definition implies a loss, so to speak. It implies a, um, a limitation. You know, uh, you're in good company because the ancient Chinese sage Lao Tzu said something like the same thing about the Tao. You know, it cannot be explained; it is ineffable, and any effort to do to define it, it's you know, sort of like a, you know a jellyfish you push down here and it pops out somewhere else, or a, a balloon. So I appreciate that. On the other hand, uh, for someone who is just listening. Uh, to you both for the first time and kind of wants to grapple a little bit and get their arms around this phenomenon you refer to as matrix energetics as well, you've laid it out to some extent here that it is uh, assisting people, facilitating, touching into human potential. Now that's a very huge domain and I would just like to say Melissa that uh, you say just healing but Healing happens on all levels, as you, we all know here, that it's really a 360 phenomenon, truly holistic, that if someone is healing some aspect of a love relationship, for instance, that somehow or another because of the systemic, or morphic nature of reality, it's going to be affecting somehow the way they deal with all other things, you know, the fractal, the fractal nature of reality. Could you comment on that? Well, that's what's fascinating about it because
3: that's one of the reasons we don't call it um, healing because people are so used to taking a definition and then taking their limitations around that definition
1: yeah. and their
3: expectations and their programmed expectations into that. And so instead of having a huge set of possibilities, they now have reduced that to a limited set of possibilities that fit their previous models. Yes. What Matrix Energetics is really great at is busting the bubble or busting the model in a way that is unconscious, unbelievable, super powerful, and and fun. It's like Coyote k- Shamanism. Him, uh, you know, it's 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 the trickster in uh, in the field. Um yes. I would say that it's a very impersonal personality, as it were that has a, a definite sense of humor and also a, a sense of, of, of the absurd. And what's beautiful yes. about that is change happens where you're not looking. Yeah.
4: Right. Right.
1: Exactly. No, I, it's like sneaks up on you, taps you on the shoulder and then runs. <laughs> you know. That's why <laughs> or or I or was you in run. your seminar and I met you both for the first time, uh In New Jersey some time ago, I've got to say I was so as I was saying at the beginning of the show, I was so amused and I so enjoyed what I felt were the antics of one sort or another but they were all designed, I felt, to catch people off guard and to expect the unexpected and to open up the field so wide that people began to have the feeling and to emanate the feeling that anything was possible, and anything could happen at any time. Would you say that that was part of what you were seeking to shape?
3: Actually, the field shapes us, and we just seek to show up and hold on for dear life. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but, but with okay. respect to, with respect to what you shared, the, the whole idea about coming to expect the unexpected is precisely what Matrix energetics is all about. In uh, that we are seeking to get people and ourselves included to let go of our expectations, because yeah. whenever you have a specific expectation. Uh, it's very much like a belief or an opinion or a thought. You're, You're limited by the very parameters that have been set in place by virtue of that expectation. When you let go of an expectation and you come to expect the unexpected, you are opening up to all of the other possibility states that fall outside of that with which you thought you expected based on your limited premises that were in place before you got there. And you don't even need to understand any of that. The beauty of Matrix Energetics is that it's extremely playful. So most of the transformations that take place throughout the seminar experiences is based on accessing a state of play where you don't really have a plan. You don't have an agenda. You're not trying to fix something or heal anyone. You are just playing with patterns of information. And we recognize that the universe itself is holographic. And within that holograph, there are various fields of information. And in Matrix Energetics, we are tapping into the resonance with those fields of information. And we are playing with them in such a way that transformation becomes the norm and becomes the
1: new expectation. Wow, yes, that sounds absolutely preposterous. I'm sorry. My friends, just (laughs) preposterous. Um, (laughs) uh, No, it's great. It's just great. That you know, people don't understand. You know, I'm going to use the word healing because that's you know, just uh, I see it in the larger perspective, and I very much appreciate the point that you made, Richard, about uh, people bring, they import their own brand of healing, sort of like, you know, you have a cut, you put a band-aid on it, or your back is out, so you go to a chiropractor and you get it put back in place, or something, you know, rather mechanical and linear like that, which, by the way, has its place as a subset in the whole picture as well. So it's all good. It's all good. But what I found the two of you doing is you're working how do you say, holographically, Melissa, you are working uh, spherically, non-linearly, angularly. You know, you're coming in from that unexpected window in the sky and giving voice to something that you, you know, you don't even know where it came from. It's like deeply instinctive. Maybe the best way to help convey the work that you two are doing, and the Matrix energetics practitioners. By the way, you have a like a certificate program, correct? And you train people in doing this all over. Say a little about that, if you would.
3: Oh, it's sort of untraining them in not doing because um, oh, we have a great. thing from Lao Tzu that I really <laughs> we have a thing from Lao Tzu that I really like um, that it, to to do nothing and to leave nothing undone, and that pretty much covers it.
4: Yes. Okay. Okay. Fine. You're
2: starting to sound like Lonesome all the more with
4: every sentence. Okay.
2: Richard, I think he wanted us to share a little bit more about how basically what it is that we teach is very transferable, and there are thousands of students around the world that have received their certification in what it is that we teach because this skill set of doing nothing and leaving nothing undone which is a way of noticing and interacting with information that is in universal consciousness yes. is something that is accessible to absolutely everybody it is not limited to something that only richard can do or or myself or a few other people this it's is true a conversation with universal consciousness that is readily accessible to absolutely anybody who chooses to come and interact with this field. It's as easy as playing
1: in the sandbox. Yes, yes. In fact, you could say it actually is playing in the sandbox.
2: Well, that's why I said it.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. You <laughs> absolutely. Literally. It is you know, literally. <laughs> it's literally playing, yeah, yeah. because – you know, even using, I'm, since you're playing along this line, I'm going to match you point by point by saying that um, the idea of accessing something suggests that it's somewhere else that to be accessed, whereas it's here now all the time, constantly, as the always state. So it's just a question of, you almost could say, remembering that or tuning into what is already and utilizing it for, let's say, a certain outcome, would you say that? Do you entertain such things as intentions, or is that is that too rigidified? Well,
3: intention is a great thing, but my guides uh, call them the voices in my head or around my head, um, yeah. which I call them friends because they've saved my life physically a number of times uh, over the years. But uh, oh, we what have they to say hear
1: that, yeah.
3: his Define intention as in the Tenth of the one and for Me that sums it up because it's A state oh. of grace that you enter Into and when you enter oh. into the Chalice of that experience You then yeah. have available uh, The grace that shows up As a field of Information that then can be uh, It can be Merged with it can be modified It can be it can be Codified and it can be directed <sighs>
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That is beautifully put. That is beautifully put. Uh I am just enjoying having you two on and engaging in this conversation because it's um it's got such depth and um and scale because uh in a sense there's nothing it cannot touch and relate to. And that is exactly what I experienced when I met you and I sat in and watched how the uh the class unfolded. Richard, would you lay out what it is that brought you to this in particular? Because I know you had a couple of uh, very powerful, life-threatening experiences, and uh, maybe we can move from that into some real-life examples of first you, and then some of your uh, clients and students who have also had some awesome, miraculous we could call them, experiences uh, through this approach, this consciousness technology. What is it that well, happened to Well, what you? brought me to this was disco in yeah. the Catholic
3: Church. Uh, I was an altar boy, and now I'm just an altered boy. But um, seriously, <laughs> when I, um, those two things are what did it. Because, And that's okay. a bizarre answer, but it's a true answer. Oh, no, happened. it's a good answer, yes.
4: I mean, the so, kettle yeah. would
3: appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> So what happened is um, the new math came in uh, when I was in fifth grade, and um, I was in a parochial school. You know, the nuns were the teachers, and no one knew how to teach the new math. Mm -hmm. No one knew how to teach the new math. So finally the buck stopped with the principal, and she couldn't teach it any better. But um, (laughs) because I couldn't get the math, because it changed over from math I understood to math I didn't understand, and I think a lot of people have this, I couldn't do the math, so therefore I wasn't very good at algebra, Uh, I failed geometry, couldn't get to trigonometry or calculus, so I couldn't go to physics, so I couldn't become a medical doctor. Well, the reason I even thought about becoming a doctor is because I was a bass player. And I was. uh, Oh, that's logical, yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was making a decent living as a bass player. And then when disco came in, they didn't want to pay bands anymore. They didn't want to play the oh. live dance anymore, so I had yeah. to get a different job, and so I decided to be a doctor. But then I couldn't be a medical doctor because I couldn't do the physics, so chiropractic school actually took me without the, phys- without the math and physics back then, and yeah. that's, how I, that's how I got here. <laughs> I got it. I
1: but somehow you still became a chiropractor, and you need physics for that, don't you? No, I didn't at the time. That's the thing. Oh,
3: I did not have to have the physics back then. They only required um, 60 hours of college, which I did at a junior college uh, or a a community college while I worked at nights in a hospital. The reason I actually became a doctor ultimately is because I was working in the hospital uh, as a janitor, and I had a blue smock on, a blue smock, a light blue smock, and I had a big buffing machine, you know, buffing the floor. And people kept up coming up to me and asking, uh, doctor, excuse me, could you help me with this? And I looked down at my blue smock and no stethoscope and a bu- and a four buffer and I thought, they see a doctor. Maybe I should be seeing a doctor. Maybe I should be a doctor. See? <laughs>
4: oh, I understand the career path, yes. That's exactly how I have a direct a direct route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's about as as oh, almost Oh, that is so takes. funny. They, just, <laughs> they, they you been...
3: later, but you know that's the way things happen. Oh,
1: of course, and you've been polishing people ever since. So. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> wow, Melissa, Melissa Joy, I mean, you just sound joyous by definition. I hope you don't consider that a limitation.
2: No, I don't care.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm sure we
2: We choose our name before we come into being anyway, so I probably set it up that way. and then set up a a series of struggles along the course of my lifetime so that I could learn through contrast and learn what joy wasn't, so then I would know precisely
1: what it was. Indeed, Um, indeed. How did you come to Matrix Energetics?
2: uh, The short answer is uh, a double-decker red bus in London, uh, okay. Basically, I, I was uh, at the World Congress of Neurology presenting the uh, results for a new multiple sclerosis drug treatment. I was in the pharmaceutical industry for oh, about yeah. 13 years and uh, went outside to uh, to grab some water and got hit by a double-decker red bus and uh, oh. was propelled about 40 feet in the air. And um, I had places to go. I was late for a meeting, so I kind of got up and dusted off my bloody knees and went back in and uh, proceeded to present the results. But, oh um, uh, then, like... the, <laughs> then I went to the emergency room. Um, but, but what's, what's embedded underneath that experience is that I uh, yeah. had been at odds with what I was experiencing in the pharmaceutical industry for a number of years, and I worked for some of the biggest and most powerful drug companies bringing to market some very, very, very powerful drugs, uh, both Mm -hmm. marketing, sales, as well as clinical research. And uh, without integrity with what was going on, had begun exploring Eastern medicine and holistic medicine, but really was, uh, you know, trepidatious about leaving a a pretty successful career in order to, you know, know what I was going to do. And so yes. rather than, uh, you know, assertively resigning, I chose to get hit by a double-decker red bus that led me further into the exploration of healing and transformation because uh, it took me a while to recuperate. And along yes. that path, uh, about two years later, I was still suffering from some of the residuals from the accident, and I also had come down with... Uh, a disease at the time that was not yet recognized and certainly wasn't treatable, and I could not get healed from this condition. No matter how many drugs I took and how many experts I saw, uh, I just could not seem to overcome whatever it was that I was struggling with. And uh, I went to hear this crazy chiropractor, that's how he was referred to, to, at the time, uh, here's this crazy chiropractor. You mean the guy that was doing it. the
1: buffing the buffing machine with the, the blue smock?
2: No, all I had heard was that there was this crazy chiropractor doing this weird stuff with energy, and it might be right up my alley. Oh, okay. So I went to this intro event, uh, back in 2006 in uh, San Diego, uh, at the Seaside Community Church, and And there was Richard uh, talking about turtles and the resurrection of the dead, which had absolutely nothing to do with healing, had absolutely nothing to do with quantum physics or torsion physics or anything that I expected a professional doctor to be talking about. And as I sat there listening to what appeared to be nonsense, uh, there was this, familiarity about what I was observing, and there was a familiarity to the feeling of what he was sharing with respect to reality just being absolutely up for grabs, totally flexible, and not what any of us think it is. And that intrigued me, and that curiosity led me to attend the seminar the following week. And um, during the seminar, I sat in the back row because I just thought this stuff was so weird. And I really didn't want to <laughs> you interact. Didn't want to get you didn't want to get inspected. You didn't right. want to get infected. exactly, because, you know, I was normal, right? And so I'm <laughs> sitting in the back row, and there was this part of me that wanted to raise my hand to volunteer to go up on stage to have an interaction, because we interact and play with students throughout the entire weekend. The whole weekend yeah. is about playing. Yeah. And there was this little voice inside my head that was like, don't raise your hand. And I'm like, what? Well, but I want to go up there. I need to be healed. You know, that's why I spent all this money to come to this seminar. Mm-hmm. And, and that voice got louder as the seminar progressed. And, and then it started speaking very clearly. There is nothing to heal. There is nothing to cure. Stop fighting. Stop resisting. Let go. Trust and Allow. And at that time, it just sounded like a bunch of gibberish and code, but it was very clear what I needed to do. So Mm. I just dropped into that. And what I noticed throughout the remainder of the seminar, number one, my symptoms weren't bothering me nearly as much. Um, I freed myself up to opening up to what was possibly available for me there beyond my uh, limited agenda, which was to get healed. And I noticed that I started having a tremendous amount of fun and, Suddenly the idea of you know, this being weird just became a way of interacting with information or consciousness potential. Then over the next couple of weeks, all of my symptoms completely went away, and that was it for me. You know, that was my own personal healing. There was no interaction with Richard. There was nothing to do, and what I noticed was that when I let go of my attachments to how I thought healing should show up, to my attachment to whether I would have this condition for the rest of my life or not, and I got into that state of neutrality, which we refer to in matrix energetics as being new to your reality, where it didn't matter whether it was there or it wasn't there. That's where the wiggle room was for my condition to change, and that was what I stepped into that allowed for that pattern to show up differently for me. And my symptoms never came back except for... As a means of calibrating when I was out of integrity with a particular situation, I would my symptoms would flare up. And that taught me something very pivotal that we teach in Matrix Energetics, which is that all of our patterns and our conditions and our diseases are placeholders or cues for awareness to get our attention so that we can step into more of our own authenticity, our own integrity, and our own true self which is not the self that we think it is it's not the self that we present to society but it is a a self of selflessness that has undifferentiated boundaries and that is really consciousness potential seeking to experience itself and Mm. i've been to every seminar ever since and uh, started Mm. teaching uh, with richard in 2008
1: gosh so that's my story. story what a story thank you thank you
3: Sharing that. What she did okay. mention is when what she didn't mention is when I interacted with her. I interacted with her fiance at the time at first, and he was um, both a physical therapist and a surfer. And I, I perceived that he was more comfortable on water than land. So I said, "We've <laughs> got to put you on a, on on water." And so I, I held my hand out and accessed the field of that state. I don't know how to explain it otherwise. It's like looking at yeah. a painting and then moving into the painting. So mm-hmm. I did that, and then I looked at her. And there was only about 27 people in, in this little audience. And we heard her mm-hmm. and said, I've got to interact with you because if I don't do that, then you're not going to match up with him anymore. And so then, well, little did I know what a bomb that would be. I, I, She came up there, I raised my hand, and she went into an amazing yoga-looking back bend with her head between her legs instantly. And, so, and oh. uh, that wasn't anything I did. That's how the field interacts with people sometimes. Yes. Anymore, and it's so hard to understand, and I still don't understand it. But I understand it's real. It's we've seen it tens of thousands of times at this point. I can sit on the stage, Melissa can as well, and people will be having these incredible experiences and interactions with the field, and their bodies will be going into torsion, and they'll look like it'll look like yoga or chi kung or God knows what else. Yeah, um, and they're we'll probably it'll look like, like, a, like a UFO taking off, and it's like not a, us. You yeah. just get out of the way, and the field interacts. And the field is so powerful at this point, and is so specialized in what it does that it's like, well, it's like Timothy Leary in the '60s. He was um, attempting to re imprint people from their original traumatic experience to bring them back to a point of of a blueprint of oneness. That's really what yeah. he was attempting to do, mm-hmm. and do that using the-
1: LSD. Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah, and what I was told some time ago was that I was supposed to bring back that idea of re-imprinting. The field can actually re-imprint you with your blueprint, your original joy, your original purpose, and it can change your life just by sitting there. You don't have to do anything. It's there like the tide. I tell people, if you can get in the ocean, try and stop the tide from coming in.
1: Right. No, I I think that's a beautiful way of uh, of explaining and describing what's going on. I think you may have been looking for the idea of uh, kriyas that the body is um, unwinding, as it were, the tense spots, the blocked chi, and the stagnant everything, and allowing it to open and unfold in the face of the power of the field that somehow uh, in both of your collective presence is being invoked perhaps more powerfully than if we were to just go to a lecture, say, at Harvard University on pediatrics. Well, if we <laughs> showed up for a lecture on Harvard pediatrics, we might have the pediatricians trying
3: to get birth to themselves.
1: <laughs> that is very likely. That is very likely. I, we I are would, speaking I with Richard, to... let me let me just let everybody know we are speaking with Richard Bartlett and Melissa Joy. We are speaking about Matrix Energetics. We're talking about birth. This is something that Richard Bartlett gave birth to some years back. He was telling us the original story of where he was uh, mistaken for a doctor when he was actually a janitor at a hospital and decided to take it seriously and pursued science and medicine ever since. And is uh, continuing to work with people. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for a better world and you can become part of our community and our newsletter at www.abetterworld.tv. Let's just take a moment, you two, and let people know that you will be on the East Coast this coming weekend in Boston. Well, you won't be that far from Harvard. Uh, And you'll be offering a seminar there, is that correct?
2: Yeah, actually, to clarify, it will be the following weekend. We'll be in Boston April 5th through 8th uh, offering our fundamentals course, which is Level 1 and 2, and then we'll yes. be offering a special one-day unplugged course, uh, which follows the 1-2, and that is a special course on spatial clairvoyance. So April 5th through 9th, we will be in Boston.
1: Excellent. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Unplugged, and did you say spatial clairvoyance?
2: Yeah, that's our term for uh, being able to notice the distinct patterns of information that emanate in everybody's individual field and the collective field of consciousness or the morphic field of matrix energetics. It's just Mm. noticing what you notice, but noticing beyond the space. It's learning that there is actually information there that you can come into resonance with to expand and transform.
1: You know,
4: it's
2: really easy. It sounds complicated, but it's really easy. It's super easy. You know,
1: we've got, exactly, we've got language that might seem very sophisticated on one hand, and it is, and um, it's essentially a form of epistemology. How do we know what we know, and how do we deconstruct it in a way that we can really make it uh, palatable and useful? And on the other hand, we're you are both, this is what I hear, and please correct me if it doesn't align with your understanding, that when somebody is in a state, of whatever state that may be, and they may be uh, complaining of certain symptoms in a way that a doctor might say, you're sick, you're ill, and you have this disease. What I hear you both suggesting, is that is another state of consciousness like anything else, which is essentially an aggregation a particular configuration of information that may or may not be pleasing you at that moment, but no matter what, it's informing you of something, and it has something to say for your own higher well-being, let's just say and by learning to receive that information, that communication from those symptoms, let's say, like what you learned, Melissa, about uh, when those symptoms flare up again, something about your being in integrity, when you learn to listen to these manifestations, you can gain a tremendous amount and if you're free enough to just say, this is part of my experience at the moment, let it be that all things will shift in a way that will allow for uh, let me say health and well being. Does that make sense? It's kind of like putting the
3: trash out on the on the on the street, you know, in your big receptacle there and then watching the trash for twenty four hours uh a day, you know, seven days a week until someone comes and takes it away. Um <laughs> if you just trust that the trash is gonna get taken away if you put it out there then you can let go of that whole thing and letting go of the dependence upon the pattern allows the pattern to change in spite of you, not because of you.
4: Mm. Say say
3: that piece again, would you, about not depending on the pattern, did you say? Yeah, you're depending upon the parent to change. You think something has to happen. Something has to happen to you, or you have mm-hmm. to change, or you have to breathe differently, or you have to eat differently, or you have to be a good little boy and girl, and you have to have your sins forgiven, and and you have to go to communion, yeah. and uh, and then when you die, you hope Jesus takes you where you're supposed to go, not where you don't want to go. All right. that stuff—it's <laughs> all the garbage that you can put out on the on the street corner, and you you can let go of it. And and the parts that are supposed to not be in the garbage will come back to you. The parts that are garbage or are garbage in your experience at the moment where where you've gone through a certain journey of consciousness and you've let go of some things, those things are connected together. They're like stuck together and you don't even know it. So it's like trying to consciously tease that apart is impossible. But if you trust in the grace and the power of possibility that if you were just to let go, it's what Jesus said, uh, what loving father is going to hand you uh, a a snake if you ask for a fish or or a stone if you ask for bread? And that, to me, is a a physics equation. It's a physics equation of grace. And if you realize that and accept it, it's in spite of you, not because of
1: you. Yes, yes, yes. Melissa? you were saying
2: the well the other part of that physics equation if we're just going to talk about taking out the trash and and paying attention (laughs) to our garbage uh you know you can trust and let go that the garbage is going to be picked up but if we are continually focusing on that garbage then that's all we're going to notice and a basic premise in matrix energetics is learning how to notice what is different not what is the same. So we teach our (laughs) students how to notice what they notice without judgment, without limitation, without expectation, and then how to notice what is different. And the more that you pay attention to what is different without labeling it or limiting it, the more difference, shows up in every aspect of your life. So in addition to letting go of whether something is going to change or not change, there is a focused intent on paying attention to what is already different because change happens instantaneously. It also occurs over time. We call that process. But the Mm -hmm. more you can condition yourself not to pay attention to your conditions, but to pay attention to what is already changing because change is a natural state for us, when we are in flow and we allow that to continue to unfold by virtue of our attention, then, then everything shows up differently. And the garbage is gone primarily because you stopped giving it so much focus. Exactly.
1: Indeed. So there's an underlying principle here, of course, which is that where we place our attention, that thing grows. It expands. And that's, I think, a very key point because so many people are focusing on what they don't want. And because we know that the subconscious doesn't really process knots, um, but creates knots, if you will, uh, you know, we're not, we live in the affirmative world, not what's not there, but what actually is there, visible, of course, or invisible. That's another story. But, we live, so if we want something, we affirm what it is in the positive. We want something to grow. We put attention to something that's different, that's distinct. And before you know it, that becomes sort of an anchor in distinction. And that, what I hear, keeps gaining a momentum, if you will. And almost well, kind of somebody into another level.
3: What? I would kind of disagree with that then, because, again, the problem with duality is, is exactly what you said. If you focus on what's positive, you cannot help. Your left brain, what it does is it learns and it, and it judges and measures by contrast. So if you're focusing on what you want in the back, actually in your subconscious, you're actually focusing on what you don't have yet. And that's true too. Yes. Yeah. If you're focusing on health. Like I want to be healthy or I want to be free of pain. What are you focusing on? You're focusing on pain. Uh what are you focusing on if you want to be healthy? Now if you just let go of your definitions of healthy, that's a different thing. I want to feel good. Now if you want to feel good, yes, that's a transformative statement because it doesn't have any it doesn't have any perceptual blinders with it. It's it's of course you're going to encode, Well, feeling good for me is this and this and this and, this and having a new car and all blah blah blah. But if it's not that, if it's just I wake up in the morning and for no reason whatsoever, I feel marvelous. Uh, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm I'm, I'm broke, uh, I've got a disease, et cetera, and I feel marvelous. If you can find that within yourself that is without context and without condition – You can uncondition your reality, you can uncondition your limited self, and you can move into a much greater pattern that allows for miracles to happen right in front of your eyes.
1: Hallelujah! Yes! (laughs) No, I I very much actually appreciate the point. Um, And I would also say, not only does it sort of uh, bring forward the opposite, because it suggests what it is you don't have, you will also find yourself wanting instead of having. So... You yeah. end up focusing on wanting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is not a desirable state, so you have to uh, engage the imagination that you have what it is you're looking for. You already have it. You already embody it. Would you agree to that? Uh, pe- people ask me, you know, it's like,
3: well, like I'm starting to let, my, uh, let myself go. Like I'm wearing my glasses in a seminar instead of wearing my contacts because i only had a certain number of contacts. I'm gone all the time, so I only had one contact. I had my right contact because I could see out of my left eye. But sometimes then I'd forget to put the right one in, and then I could see fine anyway because I wouldn't know that I didn't have it in. You know, things like this.
4: But
3: finally I just put my glasses on. Well, the thing is, people go, well, haven't you? Can't you heal yourself with your eye? I said, why bother? Glasses work just fine. It's like if you (laughs) have to make life so damned hard to feel good, then what is the point? Just let go of all the conditions on your conditioning and allow yourself to change in ways that you can't even imagine because you've stopped limiting what can show up.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Now I understand you're coming from such a I mean, somehow this is, you know, Catholicism meets Zen and Neurolinguistic Programming and Eric all in the same conversation somehow, you know. Not well, to, to mention the like little Jackie head. Mason. I'm sorry? It's like Bamler said.
3: Bamler said his father was a Zen Buddhist. He said, when you're hungry, then you eat.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's Richard, all right. I studied with him umpteen years ago, many moons ago, many moons ago, and I was so reminded of him when I uh, met you and sat in on your seminar. (laughs) It was so... It was like Richard Bedler revisited, but the uh, ante was up. You know,
3: very much so. Well, what's it's funny movie? because it's the field yeah. that comes through Melissa and I, and we often, when we get on stage, we have no thought whatsoever. In fact, no ability to think sometimes of what's going to happen in the next moment. And yes. um, the remote viewers used to have something called open session. So what I patterned is actually going out with not a thing in my head and just doing open session for an hour. Uh, to start out the seminar, and it is amazing uh, what comes out. The other really powerful point that I love is when Melissa and I do questions and answers, because we literally never know what the
1: question is going to be, and we
3: certainly do not know how we're going to (laughs) respond.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Well, just like you don't know the question I'm about to ask now, which is that I'd love to um, take this rich tapestry of conversation and have you give some examples, both of you, of uh, some of the people with whom you've worked and have seen transformations occur in their lives that have just awed them and awed you in a beautiful way. Melissa, why don't you take that? (laughs) Is there? I have a feeling that might happen in every single seminar that you teach and you probably get a number of uh, calls throughout the week of people who are applying the principles of matrix energetics and seeing things show up in their lives that they never ever expected. Melissa, do you have any thoughts? Does a particular um, story come come to mind? We might have Melissa, lost did it. we did we lose Melissa? Did we lose Melissa? Oh my. Okay, wait a minute.
3: cheer that will never do.
1: Hello, Melissa.
2: I can hear you, but you can't hear me.
1: Oh, now, oh, we, now can. we can actually. I don't know what happened, but you are back. So. Oh, you, <laughs> you did hear us, us right? That's
2: yeah. So, yeah, I got kicked off a few times back and. Uh,
1: so here I am now. Okay, good, good, good. That wasn't deliberate. So we're glad to have you back. Could oh, you, it's fine. <laughs> everything
2: everything that shows up just becomes part of the process.
1: So Exactly, it's exactly. <laughs> it's now time for storytelling. So um no really, actually I would love for our audience to hear a couple of uh examples of some of the folks that you two have worked with then they've worked with themselves and um seen some Absolutely. really interesting changes.
2: It's funny, Richard and I always laugh because there's thousands and thousands of stories that you know our students share with us, or that we've experienced directly. And then when we're in the moment sure. of the flow, we just can never think of anything. So yeah. um, one thing that I do want to add, though, with respect to what we were sharing a moment ago about you know moving beyond the I want or or I don't have, or moving beyond duality, yeah. is yeah. that there's actually a physics built into the morphic field of matrix energetics that allows for us to move beyond the polarities of duality and it's really a very basic physics of dropping down into the field of the heart and when we drop Mm -hmm. down in the field of the heart we are moving out of the polarities and the dualities and the distinctions that have already been made through our awareness and we are going straight to uh unconditioned universal consciousness and that unto itself is the process of letting go and letting Mm. go of what you want and what you think you don't have. And from that space, that serves as the platform or the trajectory from which we notice and we begin to interact with the information that's in the field of matrix energetics. So everything that we do, we do from the field of the heart. And when we are there, cancers go away people's bank accounts change. Their relationship with their dead mother suddenly is healed. I mean, literally everything is up for grabs because there is no longer a resonance with a particular configuration of consciousness that is holding a pattern in place. And so dropping down into the field of the heart is one of the very first things that we teach our students. And when we are there, absolutely anything can happen. And when we set our intention from there, it's like dropping a pebble into a pond. There are these ripple effects that that translate out into all of their reality, which is a holograph. Yes. So with that, Richard, I really can't think of anything at the moment. Why don't you rattle off some stories and I'll think of, if anything comes to me. <laughs>
1: sure. I, I want to just oh, I tell uh, you, it, it, while while it, Richard is thinking, I mean if you uh maybe he's thinking with his heart right now, I'm not sure, but whatever it is, I like it. Melissa, that articulation of the process and the principle underlying matrix energy I think is very key for people to really get, and I really appreciate the way you put it. When we go from the mind state, the mental state, which is, uh, you know, sometimes in Zen it's called monkey mind. It's that polarity, the yes, no, the he loves me, he loves me not kind of, you know, state, to something deeper, physically deeper, and that's the heart region and heart Math Institute has helped us understand immensely what heart coherence is all about and what it suggests and it's a, it's essentially a unified field, and from there, those patterns, those mental patterns, which are habits of mind, begin to really become devalenced, is the way I like to put it uncharged, and they don't have the same grip on our consciousness, meaning the pattern is relaxing, decontracting, if you will, and allowing a person to be in the now. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: But it's not just limited to the mental patterns. I mean, everything is consciousness. So if you have a tumor on your liver, that liver is conscious. And when you relax into the flow that is available in the sea of potential of the field of the heart, then there is a coherent field that is created. And, yes, it's documented by HeartMath and a number of other, uh, you know, sciences that are following, you know, heart resonance and coherency. That coherent field connected to the morphic field of matrix energetics or the unified field uh, basically allows for any pattern to Uncollapse and to recollapse into a different configuration.
1: Indeed, indeed. No, I'm, I'm, we're, I am one with that. No question. Yes. No, no, no. Well, well put. I, it's not just a mental pattern, but it, it's mental along with everything else, because the pattern is actually holistic and systemic. We may think of, we may localize it in one place, and the brain really is playing a pretty big role here. But by no means is it limited to that. So, thank you for that that augmentation I appreciate that Richard uh, you were uh, remembering a story
3: well I mean I, I, I think the miracle really is when someone's all worried about their health or they're worried about their kids or they're worried about their lives and they they drop into their heart and they dissolve it's like if you could take a statue of yourself made out of um, effervescent vitamin C you know that buffered powdered vitamin C Yes. and yes. you take that statue and you drop it into the bathtub and then watch yourself dissolve. And then you realize that that dissolving self is, is not you, but yet it is, a, it is a potential aspect of you that you have identified with. And when you can dissolve that sense of self into that, that sea of fun, which is really what it is, um, you can drop into the heart, and it's like it's a singularity. It's like a wormhole. It, it accesses a different universe of possibilities, and it's instantaneous. It's instantaneous. And it goes beyond even what Hartmann is talking about. It goes into what the Russians call torsion field physics. And, the, and, and basically what I'm starting to realize, uh, matrix energetics cannot be explained by quantum physics. And uh, thankfully we have our friend, uh, scientist Claude Swanson, who is one of the proponents of teaching about torsion field physics in the West. Most of the torsion field research is still in Russian. And uh, our book, Melissa and, and I, The Physics of Miracles, and Claude's book are about the only two that I know of th- that originally have talked about torsion physics. But basically you're talking about a vortex that – imagine uh, like the uh, the tornado that took Dorothy to Oz. You're talking about a tornado, and in the center is a still point where where everything actually stops. Mm. And at that point then – that is the central point of your being. That is what you really are. That's all you really are. And all the peripheral aspects are just things that have been built up around you. Like the tornado is not really a weather phenomenon. It's an electromagnetic phenomenon. And the, the actual torsion of the tornado takes it out of the electromagnetic phenomenon, and it becomes what Tesla talks about, uh, longitudinal acoustic standing waves. It, yeah. it is another type of energy that actually is probably the power behind the universe. It is the hidden physics that, well, we're reluctant to talk about, because if we um, actually started to have this conversation openly and people were not ostracized in scientific circles for thinking this way outside of the black science projects, um, Mm -hmm. you would have free energy for the world. You would not have the problems that we have now. You would not have oil. You would not have battles over oil. You would not sure. have these territorial problems. You would have a completely different society, but it begins within. So if yeah. you start to access the torsion field of the heart, it's very amazing. You drop in there, and your thoughts, just like that vitamin C, can completely dissolve, where yeah. you don't have a single thought in your head. And, in fact, I really think the brain is overrated greatly. I think it is
4: <laughs> a very
3: inefficient form of um, of a software or hardware interface for a wetware that is universal and, and immense. And I think the morphic fields are what actually carry the information. And, in fact, I think when we go to get the information, we access outside of ourselves. I've seen it over and over again. People cannot have an experience within themselves when they're outside of the ability to have the experience. And where yeah. people think their thoughts are, they think they're stuck in their heads, and this is what science has said, there's no there's no God, there's no There's no anything, there's just the brain. So you're stuck inside this hard shell, and there's the brain, and everything's real in the brain, but it's but it's not real outside of that. That's what science takes it to as an extreme. And so
1: what that you mean you mean
3: limited, narrow medical science. No, no, I mean science. I mean physics. This is what they say. (laughs) Yes. It's a collapse of the wave function. But here's the problem, it's a Zen coin. You can't have the collapse of the wave function without the brain, but you can't have the brain without the collapse of the wave function. So which comes first? Yeah. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So
3: the the whole wave function thing, the collapse of the wave function, again, these metaphors, they are not really adequate to explain the mysteries of the universe, and they're certainly not adequate to experience them. Quantum physics is called quantum mechanics because it is a very mechanical, statistical mathematical probability subset that Einstein never trusted, and he always thought there was more. You know, when Einstein was asked towards the end of his life, what do you think about all these virtual particles? And by the way, I virtually don't think they exist. I think it's like we're looking at the electron, and we're like three blind physicists. One's looking at the tail, one's looking at the trunk, one's looking at the body, and they all call it something different based upon their perceptions, how they're observing
4: it.
3: Einstein said, well, that's very nice, but I'd just like to know what the electron is. So getting back to the simplicity, and yeah. and you can't get much more simple than torsion fields. Basically, if you flush your toilet, you understand torsion fields, or you or you drain your bathtub. That mm-hmm. whirlwind there is actually yes. the, the very motor of yes. yes, and it's right within your heart, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about dropping into your heart, not dropping into yes. the physical heart, not dropping into the heart chakra. And when we talk about accessing unconditional love, it doesn't look like love. It it, it isn't human. It's not like, oh, I love you so much, or if you'd only do this for me, then I would love you so much. It's none of that. And within that point, that single point of awareness, that's where all possibilities spring from because it's unbracketed as an undiluted set of potential that has not been observed yet as becoming anything. You start to pattern reality from there. You start to change your very definition of what it might be, and there's where the miracles are. And that's what I think is the biggest miracle in matrix energetics. Not that someone has a tumor that it goes away, and that happens all the time. Not that they have back pain and, they, and then they don't, or or their life changes and their lifelong depression is gone. I mean, so many stories. We could we could we could fill a website. It would look like um, you know if you. Um, you saw Star Wars in the beginning, right? When they have the, the fanfare and then you see the um the big monolith with the words coming down.
4: It would look like mm-hmm. that.
3: You could just post that on the website and you say, and this happened and this happened and this happened. And at the end you get down to the bottom all long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, but none of it was real. Sure. The reason sure. things can actually change in an instance is because they're not real in the first place. They're perceived <laughs> yeah. real. They are they are they are they're in a framework of perception that says they're real. They're real yeah. while we're experiencing them, but once you go outside as a limited model and you go to the vortex model, then you move into the vortex, into the space where there is nothing, you access the all. And that's yeah. where all the rules stand on their end. That's where all the angels can stand on the head of a pin.
1: Yes, yes. Now, I, I, I very much appreciate what you're saying, Richard. I, I really do. And uh, just just to say a couple of thoughts that come my way as you are, speaking. uh, One, I'm reminded of uh, my dear friend Bruce Lipton, who uh, speaks of the change that occurs in a cell is happening from outside the cell because of the antenna in the membrane, the brain of the cell, the membrane, which is receiving information from outside the cell, giving the cell the instruction about how to behave in light of its environment, number one. So that's the inside-outside relationship, number one. Number two, I'm thinking of the work of uh, Dan Winter and the torsion Mm -hmm. fields, which he talked about many, many years I mean, I met Dan Winter 20 years ago, longer, Mm -hmm. who was talking about some of this uh, interface of the heart, and torsion fields. And I, honestly, I it was a bit over my head at the time. I felt intuitively I had some sense of what he was talking about, but he's developed his own language. And if you you're, don't you're, get the you're, of reference. You're
2: right on. What's so brilliant yeah. about Winter's model, or even if you look at Claude Swanson's model, or any of the, the torsion physics models? What it yep. like about Winter is he bridges the torsion field technologies or the torsion fields with sacred geometry. And yeah. he actually can describe the, the actual positions of the electrons as being uh, supported by that sacred geometry. You get a certain yes. amount of information in the vortex. There's momentum and there's inertia that's sustained by that sacred geometry. That is how you get form and matter. So his yeah. theory really is very extinct in going from the zero point field to form and and i think he's on to something with respect to the theory of everything and all of these torsion field theories can very much explain the model of healing but you can't get there by trying to get there you've got to let go of the need to get there drop down into the field of the heart which is a torsion field and from there people's cancers go away when you don't even know they have them because you are just playing with Patterns of information as possibility states and that is precisely what everything in nature energetics
1: is about. Yes. Yes. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna circle back and we're just we're I I mean, I this is gonna sound preposterous to you as well, which is that we're out of time, but I'm gonna I just do wanna take another couple of moments uh before we bring on the next guest. Uh, and that is um I did ask the question um, that got answered in the most interesting of ways, very obliquely of of experiences that your students and clients have had over time. Uh, that they've reported. And you said there have been lots of tumors that are falling off and cancers that are getting dissolved and bank accounts that are changing, and I assume for getting fuller than uh, not. Um, and all sorts of like things that we would refer to as miracles if we don't understand the physics or we just want to stand in the grace and the awe of something we refer to as a miracle, which I think is fabulous. Um, when you... Th- I- when somebody wakes up in the morning and they really feel awful so they don't feel the life force really moving through them where they're happy to wake up and this is happening with people who either uh, feel that they are depressed or, and I know that that is just a memorized state by the way so don't get me wrong people whose physical body is causing them so much distress that they just don't have that get up and go and zets for life. And what you said before, Richard, that a person in that state who can still say, I wake up, I love life, I feel great, even if they don't. Can you just address that space? Because we typically have the Lee, uh, the um the blessing of having bodies that are working well, well, I am a therapist and an acupuncturist and a biofeedback practitioner I work with people you know pretty much every day that have different kinds of stressors that are you know bothering them, and sometimes it 's really hard for them to turn a corner in consciousness to see. Possibility, where from their window of the universe, it's looking so bleak. Could you? Just I agree, and that? it's a terrible thing.
3: It's a terrible yeah. thing to be in that state, and we are I mean, not. Been
1: there. We are not. Yeah.
3: Mind, we are completely mindful of that, and nothing we say is flippant or or, or would be in in um uh, in detriment to those states that are very real to people. And yeah. part of the whole nature of why we teach things the way we do is because. Even if we could stand on a street corner and heal cancer with everyone that we touched, we couldn't do it enough. There would never yeah. be enough. And so, but if you can learn to access where it all comes from and begin to map that state in your awareness, it can find you. You don't have to go looking for it. This is the beauty of it, see? When it's a field, when it's a field, the field can change you. The field can find you in spite of you if, if you just connect it, connect up to it. And you, it's not a matter of having faith or belief. It's a matter of finding within yourself the possibility that even for less than the blink of an eye that, those patterns that you have sustained, even your whole life, might not be entirely real, even though they are very, very bothersome in your, in your physical reality. If you can find that interval of grace, as I like to call it, I yes. have seen such amazing miracles happen. But finding it, you have to know it's available. You have to at least know. And this is why I like the physics, particularly the torsion field physics, because if you understand that what we're talking about is not weird, it is not unusual, it is a technology of consciousness that is supported by the highest level of physics that I know of in the planet. Yes. And is absolutely fundamental to the way reality is constructed at its bedrock, and you are reality at its bedrock. You therefore then have the access to the interval of change that literally can happen in the blink of an eye. You know, I'm reminded of a woman who
2: came to a seminar a couple months ago and uh she came up on stage, and she did not share what it was that she was going through. She just said, oh, just play with me, you know, just just notice whatever you notice. And I played with her and, and did some of the, the facets that we teach in Level 1, the two-point and time travel and parallel universes and archetypes and the 21 universal frequencies and templates. And it was just a, a full conglomeration of what the students learn in the fundamental seminar. And she had an experience that looked like going down into the carpet for about 20 minutes. And it's, it's some, some refer to it as being unconscious. Others refer to it as being super conscious. We just think that as your system is taking an upgrade in the morphic field of matrix energetics, your hard drive has to reboot in order to acclimate to the new operating system. And when she came back from the experience, she didn't really notice a whole lot that was different. And keep in mind, she didn't even tell me what it was that she wanted to to change. Uh, But she did start having fun through the rest of the seminar. And she sent an email about two weeks ago letting me know what she didn't want to tell me when she came up on stage, and that was that she had a diagnosis of breast cancer, and she was so terrified about, you know, having to, to go ahead and have a mastectomy, and she really didn't know what her choices were and she was kind of desperate and she came to the seminar but then she was too embarrassed to say what it was that she wanted to change and we just played and she had gone back to her oncologist and her tumor had shrunk by a couple of millimeters and they weren't even sure whether they were going to need to go in and do surgery they were just in a watch and wait mode and that was her miracle And her miracle came not because we tried to heal her breast cancer, not because we were trying to remove a tumor, but because we dropped down into the field of our hearts, we accessed a coherent state of grace, and we played with possibility states. And she got her miracle. And more importantly, she got so much more out of the experience because she let go of everything that she was attached to, and she realized that she herself has infinite potential and that she has access to transformation by virtue of connecting up with this field. Oh. And that's just one of the many, many stories that we get pretty much on a daily basis. We've, we, we, yes. you know, it, and again, not to sound flippant, but we've come to expect miracles are the norm when you let go of your perceived limitations around how they can show up.
1: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What is it that St. Augustine said that <clears throat> Miracles are not against na- nature. They are just a part of nature that we don't quite yet understand.
3: That's right. So, they're, you know, they, the, the Russian physicists have actually changed water into wine by changing the imprint of the information. Uh, Peter Garyev, one of the great uh, physicists over there in Russia, has taken. Um, Taken the embryo of a of a frog and and, and grafted with laser light a, a salamander's tail onto the frog in 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 utero, uh, in moments. Um, there was a a lady that Garyev was working with that um, had uh, diabetes, pretty severe diabetes, and um, Garyev took the information of a healthy pancreas. And used laser, and I don't know exactly how he does this, but I can understand how it might be possible. Imprinted the healthy information on the lady's pancreas, and she regrew a new pancreas. So, I'm God. thinking the physics is has got a pretty good avenue into grace. Uh, when you realize that this world, the way we've been taught, is not the building the building blocks are, are wrong, and 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 the foundations are crooked. If you start yeah. to realize what's underneath and what's possible there. You understand what the mystics have been saying. You contact the heart, that heart is the door, you open the door, you step through, and grace meets you there.
1: Mm. utterly beautiful, utterly beautiful, and I feel that your work, as I know it, is testament to the truth of what you're saying, and it's borne out interestingly by physics. <clears throat> biophysics, of course, that most people aren't aware of, as you were implying.
3: I understand well, even what physics, you were... I'm sorry? Mitchell, even the quantum physics, you can't argue with the idea that if you're made of cells, and your cells are made of molecules, and your molecules, molecules are made of atoms, and atoms only tend to exist when you're looking at them. They actually look <laughs> exactly. like a dust cloud of probability, <laughs> except for when you're looking at them and expecting them, and you have the classical <laughs> wave function... And then you go all the way down the muon, the gluon, the you and the Catholic or Jewish guilt particle, all the way to the photon. <laughs> that's what you're <laughs> made. And that's what guilt boys and girls are really made of: photons.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, wait
1: a minute. You forgot something very important. All of the space in between we refer to as nothing. So you're really Precisely. just saying, Richard, that we're a whole a lot of we're a lot of nothing. That's right.
3: It's like Richard Bandler was on the plane with the guy and the guy kept looking at his book and saying, What's in this book? And he goes, Oh nothing. And he goes, Well, there's a lot of pages in this book. And he goes, Well, it's a lot of nothing.
2: <laughs> whether we're using whether we're using quantum physics to describe the indescribable or torsion field physics or spirituality It's all just a language, and the very nature of utilizing language to describe the indescribable limits it. And what's beautiful about Matrix Energetics is that we've got many, many models to describe universal consciousness. So if you're not resonating with physics, if you don't like science, but you have a great affinity for spirituality, so to speak, then there is something available for you in matrix energetics if you don't like science and you don't like spirituality but you love to play you will find a place and a home in matrix energetics it speaks to everybody wherever they are resonating in universal consciousness and it says hey we want to take you deeper and further than you ever imagined was possible come and play Come and be curious and you will be amazed at what is possible because you are the miracle and you are the magic and the Morphic Field of Matrix energetics is a placeholder to mirror back what is inherently within all of us.
1: Yes, yes, that's beautifully put. That's beautifully put. It's very exciting. I Believe me, I love I, the energy field, that Morphic Field of Rupert Sheldrakes has helped us understand the nature of fields, and from my point of view, we don't even exist at all. We're just a, kind of a, a momentary member of a field, you know, down the block, you know, and we're just we're What are at the marijuana We're what John <laughs> Lennon
2: called
3: marijuana. We're a harmless giggle. <laughs> yes, What's exactly. funny, Mitchell, is when,
2: when we tell our students on Saturday morning that they don't exist and that they aren't here and that their whole sense of who they think they are are is not true because yeah. they're not they're not present. You know, you can, yeah. you can hear a million pin drops. You, you know, everybody's like, great. wait a minute, I don't matter. I, I, I'm not important and it's like, well, you are important as a direct expression of universal consciousness, but who you think you are up to this point is is not that.
1: You are yes. so much
2: more and nothing simultaneously. And in there yeah. you have access to the all and nothing.
1: That's right, that's right, that's beautifully put Listen, at this point we're, <clears throat> we've run quite over with just pure delight and spontaneity And I want to actually invite you both to stay on if you would like for a little bit If you can, because I would like to introduce you to a very special gentleman Who I know is giggling in the background A good friend of mine and colleague, Barry Snyder Who is the author of a book called Soul Awakening Birthing the luminous self. Uh, This is book one that he has written, and uh, Barry, interestingly, used to be a banker. Having interpreted the nature of reality as being what it was, we were uh, spoon-fed the American dream was way back then, and uh, he had a series of very important breakthroughs, transformations, and disillusionments, which brought him to an entirely different level of understanding the nature of reality, and he is uh, truly one among us who has come forward to say, hey, we are nothing! Yay! And um, I uh, had Barry as my guest following the two of you, but I would like to introduce you to and stick around for as long as you'd like. Barry, are you on the
5: line? I'm here, and Karen's with me also, Mitchell.
1: Excellent! I'm so glad to have you join us. I hope you've been catching some of the wise words of Richard Bartlett and Melissa Joy here.
5: I haven't have, and I've enjoyed it very much. And, and Karen, I don't know if you heard, Karen also decided to to jump on today. So you have you have both of us, today, Oh, Mitchell.
1: excellent, Karen! Anderson, okay, so this is like a, this is a wonderful. <laughs> Hi, Mitchell. Good an Richard. Uh, uh,
5: hello, <laughs> hello, guys. I'm going to just pick up right where they left off. Um, we'll come at just a totally do. different, totally different angle that confirms exactly what they've discovered. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really happened to me, just in a t- complete and total life meltdown in my twenties when, you know, I was playing the American dream, winning it is supposedly, and feeling more and more miserable, and my life went to a complete meltdown. Um, just everything collapsed: money, relationship, marriage, you name it, and you know, at a point where I I hit a point where I didn't know if I wanted to get up the next day or even live, I found my I found myself just and I was an agnostic. I just said, if there is a God, help. I realized I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. And shortly after that time I began to experience this sort of energy or presence just above my heart, heart chakra. And at first I thought, oh my god, now I have a heart problem on top, on top of everything else, right? But, but pretty soon I realized, oh, this is intelligent. It's trying to get my attention. And then as I began to bring my attention inward to it, it began to prompt me through life. And it became very clear to me that the whole answer to this prayer was right here within me. and. I won't take out the whole journey, but where that went. But in essence, I turned more energy, more of my attention to that, surrendering more of my ego personality level of being or my identified sense of being into that, and, and from that space emerged this field that they're talking about of energy, mm-hmm. consciousness, and grace that completely began to transform everything about who I thought I was. It purified all the bodies, (laughs) looking at all the emotions, all the beliefs, everything. In and of of itself was super intelligent, infinitely loving, all wise and powerful. And I got, wow, this is very simple. All I have to do is keep merging with that. Well, this process went on until one day this place that we call the soul lotus completely opened the, all sense of remaining self fell into that. The Kundalini went up the spine, and all of a sudden, what was what was present was the field of God. When all all that is is self, in other words, what I experienced in me, what I experienced as self, was this luminous, infinitely wise, loving presence. That it's everything. It's it's the one. It is the field, and the locus of this is indeed deep within us right above the heart. And the last twenty five years after that after after that process, Karen and I got together shortly thereafter. We were brought together to hold a masculine and feminine polarity of this and to open this together and to take it to another whole level.
4: Mm. Which I
5: think is a big part of what's happening on the planet now. Another story we don't have time for today. Mm. And what happened
1: Richard, yeah, I'm sorry. Do you wanna Comment on what you hear, um from the view that you of torsion physics and your understanding of the reality of the heart as the place for transformation,
4: it just
3: feels like the same the same thing it's that core of oneness that is central to everything in reality, and in fact, the only thing that is real
4: mm. Isn't
5: exactly that real.
4: Isn't that Exactly. Easy?
5: It's it's it, basically we're a holographic fractal of whatever we want to call source, God, creator. And all the divine qualities, characteristics, and attributes that we ascribe to that infinite one, we have latent within us. And, you know, that, well, that sounds like airy, fairy, gobbledygook to cool, a lot of like new agey stuff. I mean, how about Jesus, Buddha? They all—all all these beings, Zoroaster, Tzu, they all showed us where we're going. And at this particular time, this is the moment. This is the moment we've waited for. You know, we are the—we are the second coming. We are the ones here. And this—this this doorway is opening up for massive, massive evolution to happen really, really quickly. Even as we're up against issues and problems that we think are overwhelmingly insurmountable, personally and planetarily, and I also pose to you, Karen, Leif, our experience is that whatever those problems or crises are, are, in fact, the very doorway to the transformation, the most powerful awakenings to this sp- space of divinity that we've experienced have been through the darkest, most intense and painful things that people have going on by going right through them. They are literally a portal that opens up that soul lotus and that heart space profoundly when they are addressed in that complete surrender, complete giving self up to it, to whatever the experience calls for, whatever the emotion is, whatever the thought is, to go 100% right through the very middle of it. And what happens is you're... Basically, the law of duality takes over. When you go, make the descent the full way into the very deepest, darkest places, the spiral turns and the light just instantly manifests itself. Mm. And, and, and basically, that is how we embody the source level of consciousness. We have to go all the way up and all the way down. And, and when that happens, this space above the heart completely flowers And that's what a Buddha is, and that's what a Christ is.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. This location, I'd love to take a look at the locus together here. Uh, Melissa and Richard, you made the point of saying that it was not the heart chakra, and it wasn't the physical heart. How does what you're saying and what Barry is referring to here and Karen, his wife, lovely wife, I know them both for some years, <clears throat> uh, are referring to as above the heart. Uh,
3: it may be different for Barry. Uh, for me, it's it's conceptual in the sense that to try and understand it, everything came from nothing. And this is the problem that the physicists have actually with the, trying to point, paint God out of physics because mm-hmm. everything came from singularity, and then all of the laws that govern the way this universe functions came into being in that instant with what we call the Big Bang. Well, mm-hmm. for me, this point is the central point, the singularity, before the manifestation.
4: Mm.
2: So with respect to giving it an actual location in the physical body, uh, the heart field itself is It's a construct. I mean, it, it is. It's it's non-local in its very nature. It is the, the electromagnetic field of the heart is the very first thing that pops through the vacuum into three-dimensional reality before the physical heart actually takes on form. And mm-hmm. so, the field of the heart itself is exactly what we are. And so, the actual torsion field of the heart. You could liken it to having a one counter-rotating field located most closely to the physical heart and then another yeah. counter-rotating torsion in the auric field and, and how those two combine and couple create that torsion field that we refer to as the torsion field of the heart. The still point that Richard was referring to, if we were to give it a physical location using the physical body as a construct, would yeah. be somewhat uh, equidistant right within the chest cavity. So it's not necessarily to the left where the physical heart would be. It's not necessarily to the right. But even that, that location, it's an approximation utilizing a construct that says the field of the heart is located somewhere in universal consciousness when, in fact, the field of the heart is that point where the no thing meets the all and, therefore, it's not really located anywhere.
1: Precisely, but it may be sensed in that area that we refer to as that mid-chest cavity area.
2: It's a way of noticing it, yes. But I think Richard and I would both share that we can notice the field of the heart in our big toe. When you get, oh yeah, recognize that it is, it is a, a, it is a placeholder for consciousness for establishing or noticing where that still point is. Yeah, I mean, we refer to it collectively as being like an inner tube around the chest cavity. That's what we would describe the heart field as being.
1: So if you can experience it in your left or right big toe, aren't you really Oh, no, only the left toe. Only
2: only the left toe. Oh,
1: you see, I knew there was some (laughs) gap. I knew there was something here. Uh, If that is the case, then... My sense, and I'd love to hear what you all have to say with this, and I'd like to bring Karen into the conversation, too. The point, the still point, is actually inside our attention. Our attention, of course, is our projected sense of our own consciousness. It's both inward and outward simultaneously, depending on how we move it. It's very, very interesting. And so if it can be moved from that place geographically of the chest area to the left toe, not the right, of course, then clearly there's something in that movement that we orchestrate with our mind – that contains something of what it is we're talking about. What does anyone have to say about that?
0: I'd love to come in on that one, Mitchell. Um, Sure, Karen. Welcome to a better
1: world. (laughs) Is this a better world or what? Tell me, is this a better world? (laughs) (laughs) The Jewish guilt
4: particle? (laughs) The God
1: particle? Come on. Thank you, Richard.
4: You know what, there are so
0: many ways that we could language all of this, and all of them are beautiful, and all of them make the world this incredibly abundant and rich place that it is. Um, So I'm just going to share some of the ways that we like to language this whole thing. Um, One of the ways we think about it or we communicate about it to people we work with is that Yeah, we're we're probes of our higher selves, we could say, or we're projections of the infinite into the finite. Um, We are representations of the all that is here in the third dimensional world of form, as it appears, right? And we know on one level it's all illusion, and on another level it's all too real, depending on where we're identified in that moment. But what, what we can say is that there is a level of us, there is an aspect of us, there is the ultimate reality of us that is undying and eternal and that is absolutely one with the infinite. And getting in touch with that is what Barry and I have spent the last 25 years helping people to do. And what we found, and the clue that was given to us very early on in a really profound session that happened with a woman, was that for most people, the easiest place to get in touch with the undying, eternal, infinite self, or no self, however you want a language that is optional, is in that space in the heart of hearts. That is the space where it reveals itself most easily to people. And it's happened over and over and over again. And and it's an amazing thing. I think it's built into our anatomy as human beings. Um, If we bend our arm at the elbow, we find that our hand comes up and it goes right over that space in the upper chest that we call the soul space or the heart of hearts. When you bring both your hands together in a namaste salutation to another soul in the human experience, those hands are right over that inner sanctum of sacredness. That's where they go, and there's there's a reason for that. You know, it, as as we've experienced it, that space, deep in our heart of hearts, is the space through which that infinite, true self or true no self reveals itself to us. And and it makes sense that it's near the physical heart because there's a spark of the divine or a spark of the infinite that lives and that animates our forms. And it keeps our heart going. It keeps our lungs breathing. It keeps everything in this physical body doing what it needs to do that we could never make happen in order to keep the soul here for as long as we have something yet to do, something yet to experience, or something mm. yet to contribute to the whole. Yeah, Beautiful.
1: Richard, your thoughts?
3: I... I would agree with that, um, but it's interesting it's if we're made of photons and this is this is the funny thing. It's exactly what Karen was saying, obviously, and I can experience it exactly that way. Um probably not to the depth that you you very you and Karen have. I would not even begin to think so. But what I have experienced and what I've been shown is just what I have what shows up and what I have to trust. That's that's the journey that that makes sense, you know, as it unfolds for me. Um, the photon is is it's it's thought to be a particle, but when when it spreads out, it's it's everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. It actually doesn't have an actual point of reference that you could call it is there until mm. you expect to find it there, and then it collapses into that central point that you're referencing. So I think the reference frame for reality. For me, is that point that that Karen and, and Barry are talking about, and and it's very difficult. As as Karen was saying, it's very difficult to talk about because there is no language in that at that level. There's it, it's something that you can't really describe. You you are it, so you can't really even say you would be it because if you if you think you're being it, then then you have to access, access the part that's not that, and, and there is no part that's not that. So it's, yes. it's very, it's very infinite and also very, very confusing in that sense, but also very simple.
1: Yes, but this is perhaps the inherent contradiction I think you're really suggesting of the use of language among such refined points as are being made here, which is why I mean one of my favorites of all time, and I keep referencing Lao Tzu of the Tao Te Ching, who you know. Uh, really said from the beginning um, that the Tao cannot be named because once you name it, as you were saying from the beginning also, Melissa, it becomes limited. He said, but what you can reference is the manifestation, or you could say the symptoms of the 10,000 things. And the 10,000 will have names, but it originates from something that is unnameable and ineffable. And not to get too uh, heady instead of hearty, um, I do think it's interesting to see how something you said, Karen, what we happen to be identified with at any given moment, that's what begins to, you could say, crystallize or even sometimes encrust our, our reality just at that moment. And then it can shift and move to something else in another moment. Right yeah,
0: absolutely, and it, it seems as if what we've experienced and what a whole lot of people that we've worked with have experienced is that by by making space in life for the direct experience of that space in our heart of hearts or in our sacred core, or whatever we want to call it, uh, we find that our identity shifts from thinking of ourselves as this small, limited, finite human self to recognizing that infinite and unlimited and that there there is as you guys have been talking about an, an unending field of potential in which anything is possible so we go from this tiny little human life where everything seems to be about suffering and and you know limitation and boundary into this unlimited space in which anything is possible and in and in which people experience their true nature, the essentialness of being.
1: So a question arises, how do we take this understanding, this higher understanding that occurs in our kind of abstract, so-called spiritual lives, and that is represented in the highest level of physics? And sure, leave it to the Russians to come up with uh, the highest articulation at least so far of that and thankfully I'm of Russian descent I um, <laughs> <what, laughs> wanted to drop that in um, What? how do we bring this forward into our mainstream lives I mean Richard and Melissa you know you give seminars all over the country and people from all walks of life I know I saw it Come and flock and droves, actually to hear and participate and be active participants in what you do. I mean certainly that's one way what i'm I'm just like inviting you all to kind of brainstorm because this awareness about which we're speaking to become mainstream would allow for free energy like you were referring to, Richard to occur, it would allow for an entirely different kind of identity as humans, more you could say as divine humans perhaps. Your thoughts?
2: This awareness that we are all talking about, no matter how we contextualize it using language, it is it is an essence and a way of being, and that way of being is totally infectious. Such that when you embody the principles of what we are all collectively sharing here, that gets rippled out in every interaction that we have. So, in one sense, there is nothing to do other than to become that with which we are talking about. And from there, people. Transform their level of awareness by virtue of the resonant vibration that you're holding in your field, in that coherent state of the field of the heart. Now, that does not obviate the need to actually take action to communicate the information that you've come into resonance with, and mm-hmm. that can be expressed in a multitude of ways. Um, you know, as you've identified, you know, we're sharing the information by virtue of seminars, by books, by by audio CDs and so forth, but every single student that we come into contact with then embodies this state, and that state then trickles through to their job in the educational system, in the medical system, in the police system, in the government. There is this ripple effect that starts taking place where you reach that hundredth monkey effect in every paradigm where individuals may be playing. And so really the answer becomes, you know, it it happens one person at a time, but it happens not because we try to make it happen, but because we become what it is that we are talking about. And we become more aware than the awareness of a dualistic state. And that enables us to play very uh, eloquently in duality without, you know, abrogating our responsibilities that we've stepped into to come down here and experience contrast. But we can be more aware than the contrast so that we don't necessarily have to step in and create all of these experiences to learn through. We know that we are much more than those experiences and therefore we can be more aware than the awareness we would have learned by virtue of stepping into those experiences. Wow. I don't know if that last yeah. part made sense. But it's, yeah, like, it's, no, it's like beautiful. You, you yeah. have to play in duality. We came down here to experience this. And part of the problem with a lot of the spiritual models is that people just check out. They say, Oh, I've reached enlightenment and I don't need to be a part I'm not gonna play the game anymore. And what we're inviting everyone to do is, yeah, play it. Recognize it's a game, be more aware yes. than the game itself and play it smarter and play it with joy and play it with reckless abandon because you are limitless.
3: Yes. Yes. Beautiful. And Mary, I love what you said about going through the pain, going through the experience. Act going right through the heart of it that's that's i think the message i try and give people because people look at me as i'm a healer and i tell them look i'm like a blue healer i'm trying to learn not to raise my leg to the furniture and to the, the house guests you know it's <laughs> it's don't don't make me something special you know it's it's going through the very heart of an experience and embracing it with that fire of your heart that you're talking about that changes it that that, like you said, it goes from dark to light because it was always that. But when you're holding it in a polarity, it doesn't move because you're observing it as that and you're not observing it changing. And when you let go of the need to hold it it fixed in that pattern and you allow yourself to move through it like you're talking about, you let go of the search for bliss or enlightenment or any of these things that the so called New Age community thinks it's about. It's about being real and finding out what's real and what you're talking about. That's what's real. That that experience of self as oneness, as 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 grace, as transformation that is in the very heart and center of you, that is the that's the real deal. And that's what people really want. And and I thank you so much for, for saying what you said about going through it, not avoiding it. Yeah,
5: you, mm. you know it's it's been um John Wellwood put coined this term a few number of years ago. It's called spiritual bypassing and um yeah. somebody just wrote a book about it recently. I forget his um uh, not
0: a Robert Augustus masters, masters you know and it's
5: you know you, what you just said just you Richard, you just spoke you know i think so clearly about this search for truth, what's really real and uh, not a palliative or a sedative or a, check, a means to check out from from our reality. I'm I'm totally with you. Um, in fact, you know it is that going through the middle of it, as we said earlier, that you know in our experience opens up that infinitely small point into that field, which is both you know the, the paradox that it has a space that's localized but it's also Infinite, universal, on the on the present, it's a, it is the paradox of it, and you know it is the same field we're talking about here. I've been considering what you said, and I sense. And I'm wondering what what how you two experience it when that zero point in the heart opens, where that sense of self or I dissolves and that field opens. What we find is in that field is everything. It's it's not just emptiness or void or or just you know sort of this this unformed oneness. What comes out of it is infinite love, wisdom, unbelievable wisdom, um, creativity, um, a divine power, a sense of divine power that transforms things directly without force. You know, I mean, things just happen in your field. They they, they transform directly, immediately. Exactly. And, that, and I think we are talking the same thing, that to me is the only way we are going to get through these crises that we're in. The answers cannot be resolved from the state of consciousness we're in. They, they have to come out of this field, which itself is the answer, which is directly transformative at a causal level, beyond thought, beyond mind. Yes. It happens instantaneously. Directly and and honestly, with like we look at the state of the planet, I think the setup of this game is to force us to come to this, to find it as the only answer to the ubiquitous levels of, of conflicts and crises we've collectively yeah. created as the evolutionary drivers, and literally probably to bring us right through the stuff we need to get to open into this space, so that yes, it becomes apparent to us.
3: I like what the physicist David Bohm said. He made a distinction in one of his books that he did with Krishnamurti. I guess it was a a, a conference he was doing that they then recorded and turned into a book. But he said that thoughts are not to be equated with thinking. Thoughts are habitual patterns of repetition, and they're mechanical, whereas thinking is is creative awareness. And I believe thinking is not an an aspect of the brain, but it is an actual joyous, expression of this field that you and I are talking about, that, we, that we're all talking about.
0: Yeah, Beautiful. individuals experience Beautiful. it as guidance. They experience it as yep. knowing, the knowing that is beyond all thought process, you know, and as as individuals touch in to that, that space of infinity that we experience as within us and all around us, uh, they know what to do. They're just simply following that thread of life that they are here to follow, that it is uniquely theirs. And as Barry said, their unique creative contributions just flow out of them from that space. The infinite compassion that knows exactly the healing journey they need to be taken on to resolve stuff like childhood abuse or other horrific things that people endure just manifests and it's beyond anything any therapist could ever orchestrate it is mm-hmm. so profound that we often get tears in our eyes during our sessions and groups as people are taken on these journeys and the key is to directly experience whatever is put in front of us because that infinity of intelligence is placing it there because it's our next step yeah. and so as we just I breathe, feel that
1: there's this feel, I'm sorry, I feel that, you know, picking up on everything that's being said, that there is ultimately a directive. You know, what is that phrase uh, attributed to Einstein? <clears throat> we cannot solve the problems we face on the mm-hmm. same level on which they were created. And so we're talking about, you know, uh, metaphorically, coming to another state. And this state is that we're re- referencing is this kind of ultimate state of that still point that's in that cyclone, that's in that tornado, that's in our hearts is the place that ultimately this game is all about, is to discover as it's so often said, the game of life is about discovering your divine self, and everything else is just a pointer to that place, but I'm reminded of a few things that I just kind of want to place on the table here, one, Richard, as you were just speaking, uh, I was Thinking of a dear friend of mine and colleague Yasu Yasuhiko Genku Kimura, who was a Zen monk in Japan, uh, moved to the United States after spending time in India and translating uh, Lao Tzu uh, from Chinese into Japanese into, I believe, English. Um, teaches a course. Called one is called cosmic consciousness, but the other one is called authentic thinking. And I've been studying with him for the last uh, year or two formally, and uh, it's beautiful stuff because it it I'm what you were saying about David Bohm and uh, Krishnamurti. It's thinking redignified in the world of spiritual activity as an act of creation. So thinking is no longer relegated just to the space of the Zen notion of monkey mind, that it's just a bunch of electromagnetic fields interacting, but it's actually an act of creating. And I think that uh, we can also remember that we can think with our hearts the way Native peoples always talked about. So anyway, that's one thing I want to... Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. The
3: heart heart actually... uh, just the field of the heart electromagnetically. We're not talking about the torsion fields, which are the same thing as scalar electromagnetics, or what Tesla discovered, which is a source yes. of free energy, electromagnet uh, 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 levitation, teleportation, all these things, these miracles. Yes. Um, what we're talking about is just the field of the heart that's been measured electromagnetically with squid magnetometers. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about uh, twelve feet uh, in, 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 in circumference, and so. Uh, But it has a field that has been measured to be 5,000 times stronger than the field of the brain, 5,000. Exactly. Right. I'm aware of those. What do you think should be doing the thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. This this little hamster, you know, in a cage, or or, or this this immense self that has a connection, this little drop that has a connection with the entire ocean of consciousness. Exactly, Uh, to
1: the absolute, yeah.
3: I mean, the great exactly. master, Einstein, these people, they, they, didn't, they didn't think their way into the solutions that they came up with. They opened to them, and they—and it flowed That's through right. them. They asked an open-ended question, and they opened
1: the door, and grace flowed right. in as a
3: specific manifestation.
1: That's right. They opened the way. They opened the way. And, Barry, in conjunction with the beautiful phrasing that you gave to the beginning that, Richard just referenced before, of going going from the dark to the light and embracing it all, that there's no escape. And, you know, the so-called spiritual bypass is the famous way out. But, of course, I'm really reminded of the great psychoanalyst and psychologist Carl Jung, who said, mm-hmm. the way out is the way through.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We 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 always say your stuff is not in the way; it is the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we say that yeah. as well.
3: What's in, what's in the way is the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if people are looking at me as some example, they they shouldn't be looking. You know, I'm just a I'm an average fool. You know, that just happens to be foolish enough to 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 act out what 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 comes through rather than limiting it and saying
1: mm-hmm.
3: I I won't show up for that. I'm I'm afraid. I don't want to look foolish i don't want to i don't want to r- rock the boat I, I don't i i want to stay on the uh on the treadmill I don't want to get off or get on top of it and 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 i'm just an average person that just said hey um i'm going to i'm going to expand into what should yeah incredibly limited and unable i'm just going to do it anyway
1: yes and yes quit. i want to stay quit. safe on the Titanic
4: <laughs> Good Mitchell. What's so interesting
2: about well, what's so interesting about this this conversation and, and 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 where we all are with our awareness is that we recognize that that still point or the field of the heart is that connection to the zero point field, which is where our solutions really lie or where transformation can take place and yet at the same time we recognize that our world as we're experiencing it, there are, there are calamities and tragedies and diseases and all these things that we think we need to change. But as long as we perceive duality in our experience down here as being separate from that zero-point field, we don't have leverage into changing that. We have to recognize that everything comes from that point of singularity. So all of this contrast and all of this, that we think we need to change is all part and parcel of that zero-point field. It is an extension and an expression of it. It is not separate. It is the perception of being, being separate which keeps us locked in the duality and keeps us from being able to transcend anything that we think we want to overcome. But we can't judge what it is that we're witnessing and experiencing because that just perpetuates the pattern. So, we, you know, we can't really say yeah. that, you know, we have to end the wars because they're terrible. I mean, at a certain level, absolutely they're terrible. But we've got to end the war within each of us as individuals by recognizing that the power to change what is occurring out there doesn't happen out there because, as David Bone said, there is no out there out there. There is only consciousness, and that consciousness is only available through us uh, via the
1: field of the heart.
5: And, God. and Melissa, <laughs> that, can
1: I frame that? I would really <laughs> love to frame that. <laughs> you yeah. would write that out. <laughs> yes, very. Well, yeah, I always think well, that was Boe. just beautiful, yeah. Melissa. That was just beautiful. Thank Boe. you. Thank Boe. you. All.
2: I'll thank my hmm? guides because I don't know what I
1: said, but thank you. <laughs> we'll remind you later when you listen to this show again. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I just get we have a few more minutes left.
1: By the way, you this is so interesting because um Lisa, who is your you know, your assistant and agent and all, said they love, yeah. Richard and Melissa, love, you know, spontaneity, nothing unscripted. And I said, well, that's good, because I don't know how to do scripts anyway. So, here we have gone. The fact is, I always have two hours blocked out. (laughs) uh, You didn't have a clue! Nor did you know that I was going to bring Barry Snyder and Karen Anderson into the conversation, either. So, I just want to thank you all for being part of this. We still have just a couple of more minutes, so if each of you could make kind of a final comments for our audience, that would be great.
3: Barry, I just want to thank you and Karen for being so gracious to Melissa and I and sharing your time and space with it. It is very, very sweet of you and very deeply appreciated.
5: You're welcome. And to me, the way it all synergized and we came to the same place from these different perspectives, maybe that's the greatest thing we have to give to the people who are living today. Because we're reinforcing what is this common truth, and and that that does exist within us as our truest, deeper, deepest nature. And that is really the answer to everything we're dealing with personally, planetarily. It's right there. You've experienced it in your work. We've experienced it in our work. And, hey, you know, it's the message is go find it. It's within you. That's the number one priority in your world. The great ones have said that. Physicists are saying that all roads, all things point to that very one same place.
0: And what that I'm all outer very... change...
5: Sorry, Mitchell, I think I walked
0: over oh, you. Oh, that's
3: fine, Karen. No, no, ready no.
0: To go. Uh, That all the outer change that we all are hoping happens comes from that interior place. And as we get in touch with that point of infinity inside of us, the grace starts to manifest itself in every aspect of our lives.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, Some years ago, Melissa was on the beach, and I called her up. I was in Seattle, and she was in in San Diego, and I said, write this down. And um, I was given this interpretation of grace, which was gravity, rotation, acceleration, compression, and expansion. And there's all your physics forces right there.
2: Mm. (laughs) What what we would uh, would describe, you know, grace is, is... that unifying thread of the fabric that is unconditional love, which is really torsion before it begins spinning. It's a torsion field. So it's really nice to be in conversation with, with others who are getting that, whether we call it unconditional love, the zero-point field, torsion field, physics, grace, that it is the the underlying thread of continuity and connectivity that creates the experiences that we've all come down here to remember. And, you know, there's so many different ways to describe it. And, you know, we're all tapping into the same field. And the beauty is we're all individuals, and we can express that field through our own individual language. And, And at the end of the day, we recognize we're all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's right,
1: that's right Beautifully put, you remind me of the famous words of Reverend Jesse Jackson Who said, we may have all come here on different boats But we're all on the same boat now (laughs) 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 Listen, I want to thank each and every one of you for being on the show Richard Bartlett, Melissa Joy Barry Snyder and Karen Anderson. It's just been a complete, beautiful, synergistic, and truly holistic and holy experience to uh, have form, formed this beautiful, beautiful conversation on a better world. It's a real gift to our audience. Thank you all. Thank
0: you. Thank you, you very much. Thank
5: so you. much, Mitchell. Yeah. Absolutely. It's been a fun Bye-bye.
1: thing to be here. Much love, Bye-bye. Good. Bye Much love. Bye bye. Bye bye. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I am at www.abetterworld.tv You can write to us. We love to hear your comments. We love to uh, receive your questions. We love you to join our newsletter at that very same website. And remember that Richard and Melissa of Matrix Energetics Will be in Boston April 5th, and there's a weekend workshop, parts one and two, and then the extra class that Melissa was referring to. All of that information is on our website at triple dot a better world dot TV. And thank you so much for joining us. And interestingly, I will be having Jean Houston on very soon who, in fact, was the first person to introduce me and tell me about Richard's work in Matrix Energetics. She felt when I was interviewing her out in Ashland some years back uh, that uh, he and I should meet, that we had much to share. So, indeed, it is happening. Thank you, Jean, And thank you, Richard, Melissa, Barry, and Karen for today's show. Thanks again, and I look forward to having you all join us again next week. Good night now. And now, a Little Mozart.